1: And I'm Eliana Johnson.
0: Yeah, you are. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches. That's where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right. With the American news media, Eliana Johnson. Let me ask you a question. What is the etiquette for talking on an airplane?
1: I already know that this is a loaded question. No. I think it's fine to talk, Chris.
0: I think there are times when it is fine to talk. It's fine to talk. But not any time anytime anytime day or night
1: if you're you know if you're on there with your best friend you're taking a trip it's fine to talk
0: i think there are in a civilization there are rules and the rule is if it's before 7am or after 10pm you should be whispering at most
1: okay i talking quietly yes however i'm not sure if you're aware yes of these things They're called headphones or earplugs. And they now, these days, come with
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: noise-canceling technology. Most people do own such things for
0: circumstances
1: such as these.
0: On my flight from Des Moines today, it was a great opportunity to be in Des Moines and frighten people with my meat-eating consumption, as as I like to do. Shout-out to the 801 Chop House, Des Moines. This morning, these two gentlemen, I had my noise- Canceling headphones in. I took all of the steps necessary and these gentlemen were still and I I just don't think they're frequent flyers and they don't know. But I am looking for sincere input on whether I should be how irritated should I be whether I should be irritated about the talking of other people. And I know that I've been guilty Should be
1: irritated with yourself for for not having better noise cancellation. I got devices. the best
0: I got the best in the biz. I got the best in the biz, but my my plea to America is if it's before 7 or it's after 10, be library library level. I think
1: library like is fine.
0: Library like is fine. Not talking, not telling stories about your cat. You know who you are. You know who you are cat enthusiast on the 5.30 a.m. Des Moines flight. We know about your cat. And frankly, I'm not that impressed.
1: We actually have breaking news. We do
0: have some breaking news.
1: On our front page. The New York Times and every other news outlet reporting that Rupert Murdoch is set to retire from Fox and News Corporation boards. Yes. I mean, he's only 92
0: yeah, you know, it's time to start take, stepping back.
1: However, we were just chatting before we started recording. Is this really any change? What does it mean? And I think Chris and I were saying, we're not really sure this, this is a meaningful change at all. And I just want to read from the New York Times article. The elder Mr. Murdoch's retirement, in a sense, formalizes the arrangement he had already put in place after the Disney sale which made his son the day-to-day executive in charge of the two companies at the heart of the Murdoch empire, Fox Corporation and News Corporation. To to, to wit, the younger Murdoch's titles, executive chairman and chief executive, remain effectively unchanged, barring the small tweak of losing the co he once shared with his father, who maintained similar titles until Thursday morning. And the article goes on to note that Rupert Murdoch will remain an advisor. Mm -hmm. And... I assume a decision maker.
0: Yeah, working in the background. One of the one of the big disadvantages that now of course Lachlan Murdoch nor his brother James would have had the jobs that they had if their dad it's there's a I'm not saying that they're Hunter Biden, but there is there is a comparison here which is the part that's unfair you're only in the position for the unfairness because of the being born on third base. But it is be very hard to run a company when your dad, the the founder and longtime helmsman, is lurking over your shoulder, and if people are listening to him instead of you. Now what I wondered was there's a new Michael Wolf book coming out all about Rupert Murdoch. And it's, as you would expect from Michael Wolf, salacious. That dishy, is the word
1: I was going to use.
0: Yes, yeah, salacious, dishy gossipy, the the New York Post would be proud.
1: And New York Magazine published a big ex- excerpt yesterday.
0: And there's a lot of bad pub for Rupert Murdoch in this. And I wonder if the timing of making this maybe significant, maybe not significant move, so. that this helped nudge them along.
1: I don't think so, because I was a huge Michael Wolf fan really? a decade ago. I, I knew you were going to say that. I really was, and I read his biography of Rupert Murdoch. Yeah,
0: he's the, um, he's the king he, of Rupert Murdoch yes. writing. Yes,
1: and he wrote the first big Trump book on the Trump White House. And I will say, garbage. after that, and in that book, he alleged fantastical things, including insinuating strongly that former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley was having an affair with Trump. He insinuated things for which he had absolutely no proof. And so it does it makes me look at this forthcoming book
0: Nikki Hill with, could do so much better with
1: new eyes and I just don't take seriously the claim I I think Wolf lost credibility with the mainstream media I don't think people are taking this book seriously
0: But the but the the phenomenon is the same which is and this happens this is Dinesh D'Souza or whomever on the right it's the same thing if you say things that align with what your your people your tribe wants to hear they will summon their credulity right they'll 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 find a way to believe you and i think with wolf even after he was rankly discredited people were still repeating the stories and i would imagine that's what i i agree with you completely about wolf and what what a tawdry and by the way harmful book that michael wolf did to the cause that many of his readers purport to support of holding trump accountable and doing all that stuff a book with a bunch of dishonest garbage in it makes it harder to hold people accountable because now it's just well there's a lot of these things have been debunked all totally false but i bet that the mainstream press will will continue to glom on to the stuff that wolf says because he is number one the murdoch expert. And number two, they want it to be true.
1: I am not as sure. I do think that there's normally a lot of that. But I noticed this yesterday. Politico Playbook, the morning tip sheet in Washington, one of the many, but one of the big ones, noted this New York Magazine excerpt and the attention-grabbing anecdote in it was that Tucker Carlson entertained Ron DeSantis in his home.
0: And Ron DeSantis and kicked And that Ron his dog.
1: DeSantis supposedly kicked his dog under the table, which is just, like, it it strains credulity. And
0: You don't think Ron DeSantis would kick a dog?
1: I, I, I don't think he would kick Tucker Carlson's dog. I don't know. I don't, actually. I don't and,
0: know. What kind of dog? And
1: Playbook says at the end of the anecdote, reminder in yeah. bold, as CNN's Oliver Darcy notes... Wolf may not be the most reliable narrator. So that caught my attention. Like, they're covering it, but they're adding this aside that, like, you know, might not be true, guys.
0: This is from The Daily Beast. Elsewhere in the book, Wolf paints Rupert son Lachlan Fox Corp's current chief executive as a virtue-signaling elitist who didn't want his celebrity friends to think of him as a Trump supporter or a right-winger. At one point, Wolf alleges this included showing his resistance-style anti-Trump toiletries. In the run-up to the 2016 election, the bathroom's at Mandeville House, featured toilet paper with Trump's face. Reported visitors with relief and satisfaction. Wolf writes, he told people that his wife and children cried when Trump was elected.
1: Well, that rings true.
0: That there, uh, it's it, and and by the way, it took the Murdochs about 20 minutes after wiping their tookuses uh, with Trump's face to figure out that the money was in being on his side, not trying to oppose him.
1: The Desantis thing doesn't ring true to me. And by the way, Tucker Carlson and Desantis have come out on the record to say this is not
0: true. Like a kick or like a like a nudge. I don't know. I don't know what kind of dog. A spaniel. Oh, okay. Well, they can. They get have jumpy. four spaniels. They can get jumpy. They get. And by jumpy the way,
1: like you. I don't want your dog jumping all over me. Get so that. I'm kind of for for it, even if it happened.
0: Ronnie D. Kicking a dog.
1: Chris, we have got to talk about the Senate dress code, that Chuck Schumer, speaking of kicking, that he kicked to the curb like a unruly spaniel. And, oh, did you want to talk about the the government shutdown first? Well, moving Before to, we get to the candy, the dessert?
0: Moving to Congress. That's a good deep okay. tease. That's a quality okay. deep tease. Let's people know that I will be talking about the way that people dress in Congress. But... Uh, Can I,
1: like, quickly just say my frustration with this whole government shutdown thing? Preach. In that I'm reading the newspapers and watching the cables. And as a result of the biases of the media and the behavior of Republicans, the front page and the coverage of everything is Cassidy Hutchinson alleges Rudy Giuliani groped her in a car and Republican drama this and Republican drama that. and You would not know Joe Biden is the president of the United States. And part of that, yes, is the biases of the mainstream media, which all they want to do is talk about Republican dysfunction and the drama in the Republican conference. And once again, Kevin McCarthy on the verge of losing, you know, he's been on the verge of losing his job since he became speaker. And oh, my gosh. Um, But in this case, Republicans are playing into that. And that's frustrating.
0: Here's the headline from Politica. Republicans resigned. To being the villains in the inevitable government shutdown. Washington is reaching a consensus the government will shut down in 10 days and Republicans will bear the brunt of voter disgust over it. With House GOP leadership on Wednesday again showing little progress in moving a stopgap funding bill to prevent a shutdown, officials have begun a two-pronged effort to prepare for a shutdown that seems less avoidable every day. Now, look, my beef here is, you remember when Ted Cruz shut down the government to defund Obamacare? Oh, yeah. What were the political consequences of the voter disgust over it?
1: Ted Cruz got None. real famous, built a
0: huge list, and Republicans had a great year in 2014. What Donald Trump and Republicans had the dumbest shutdown in the history of shutdowns. They shut the government down on themselves. They were in control of both houses of Congress and had what I believe was the longest government shutdown in history. And I don't think it I don't think that affected people. I don't I don't think that it's it certainly added to the idea of chaos, but this is like a lot of other tropes in the Washington press corps. There's a shutdown. Mitch McConnell even agreed. There's a shutdown. Republicans are going to pay the price because that's how people are going to see it. I I think the electorate's expectation for functional government is so low now that a government shutdown is, you know, look it. It will be different because the Democrats control the executive branch so they can do what we call the Washington Monument strategy, right, where you do high profile closures to try to maximize the pain and increase pressure on Republicans. I think it's also certainly true that the Republicans want this shutdown, right? Not most of them, but enough Republicans are looking to get to know because they want to force Kevin McCarthy, the Freedom Caucus wants to force... Kevin McCarthy to use Democratic votes to pass a continuing resolution so they can evict him from the speakership. I think that's all true. But the voter disgust part, it, I, I don't think. What do you think? Do you think do you think the American electorate's expectations for good government in Washington are still high enough that a, a partial government shutdown has lasting political consequences?
1: I don't know. I do think it's quite possible Republicans lose the House.
0: Sure. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's they've got a five seat majority. They're going to lose whatever happens in 2024. They're going to lose the pop, the popular vote by a doughty margin, I expect. And it will be hard to keep the House. I don't know. But I just think the trope is worn out.
1: And the headline, Republicans resigned to being villains. No, you guys are labeling them yeah, who, the villains. How?
0: Who will do it? Who's, yeah, who's um, <laughs> labeling them? I don't know who's labeling them, but this is like this is the press version of the Trump. And people. then they say but,
1: Washington is reaching a consent consensus. The government will shut down in ten days, and Republicans will bear the brunt of voter disgust over it. No, the press is reaching a consensus.
0: And uh, uh, Mitch McConnell does agree, but this is like the Trump people are saying. Many people are saying that the Republicans are the villains, and it's like who? Well, it's like well, we are. We're sa- we're we're saying it, so it's true. But the, but anyway,
1: and we got to talk about the Senate dress code. Um, but what about
0: I, the billionaire keeping TikTok on U.S. phone? Can we do
1: the dress code first? You can
0: do anything you want.
1: All right, Chris. Finally, we get to talk about Chuck Schumer kicking the Senate dress code to the curb like mm-hmm. an unruly spaniel
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, under the table.
1: I am not a fan of this. Of the, I like the dress code. Yeah, I like. Signs of decorum. And I am not a fan of wearing a hoodie and gym shorts on the floor.
0: Well, here's what the New York Times had to say To many, gym shorts may be a sign of disrespect, but many of the best dressed members of Congress have not always acted in ways that convey respect for democratic institutions. Representative Jeff Van Drew, the former New Jersey Democrat who switched parties in 2019 and pledged his undying support to Mr. Trump, shows up to work most days with a four point pocket square. In 2021, he voted to overturn the presidential election results. Now, talk about conflating stuff. But my real beef here, Jeff Andrew, is definitely, most assuredly, not one of the best dressed members of Congress. He dresses like I, he dresses like he is a, a pit boss uh, at an illegal casino. I don't know how to uh, adequately express how how bad a dresser Jeff Andrew is. He's fancy, that's for sure, but he's not a good dresser. He is definitely not one of the best dressed. There are some excellent dressers in Congress, and I would like to hear to give a shout out to West Virginia's own Shelley Moore Capito. She's always very well put together. She's always dressed well. The women of the Senate do a particularly good job. Many of the guys.
1: Well, Susan Collins says she's showing up in a bikini now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
1: Actually, here, I want to plug the Free Beacons. Andrew Stiles did a little slideshow of okay. what we can expect on the Senate floor.
0: It there the is notes.
1: Elizabeth Warren in Native American dress. Perfect, yeah. It's wonderful. We'll put it in the show notes.
0: This is and and this is well, for and this is for Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, who looks like a like he's an Adams family character when he wears, he has a growth on the back of his neck, so his suits are cut boxy. He looks weird and uncomfortable in a suit. He likes to wear the hoodie and the shorts. And And
1: up to now, he would keep one foot in the Senate cloakroom in order to vote. It wasn't like he couldn't participate. But I I take issue with this take because, okay, Jeff Van Drew and others, they did bad things wearing a suit. Those things were bad.
0: Those things were just Um, bad.
1: We they shouldn't have done that. Right. Also, John Fetterman wearing gym shorts and a hoodie is, is bad. Is bad. So.
0: The, the... We should
1: we should favor, you know, the upholding of decorum in, in all things. And because the Republicans did a bad thing, let's you know, that's bad. And this is also bad.
0: Well, we're here at the American Enterprise Institute. So it is fitting to invoke uh, the great Yuval in, and the, the importance of formative institutions. And Congress is supposed to be a formative institution. When you join Congress, you're supposed to be changed, right? We always say, like, oh, they he changed when he went to Washington. Some of that is negative, right? The Potomac fever is negative. But it's supposed some of it is supposed to be real. If you get elected to the most august body, right, into the United States Senate, you should be changed in the sense that you should your character should be shaped by the institution that you're a part of. Putting on the correct attire for the work that you're doing is a sign of respect for the institution, is a sign of respect for each other. And I, look, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about the coarsening and dumbing down of American society. And it, I think about it way more than I should, but this is such a clear example. This is such just an obvious example of defining deviancy down of making things dumber, making things coarser, making things worse on purpose. And in this case, it is to serve a shoddy, narrow political goal. You've got a member that you want to accommodate and you can't say to him, I'm sorry, you just have to wear a suit because it doesn't fit his look and they want to protect and you. And by the way, all
1: him. the staffers still do.
0: Yeah, it's and, and so does the press and, and so does all that stuff. And I hope. That this, that the he that should be
1: embarrassed.
0: He, he but, he, but he is unembarrassed. As we right. have, as we have found, he has a Trumpian level of, of lack of, of shame and he loves it. Right. So he's, he's like, yeah, that's right. I don't care. Basketball shorts and a hoodie, whatever. And that's, you know, that's, that's beneath it. What Jeff Andrew, Jeff Andrew's pocket squares are beneath the dignity of the Senate. It is true. And what and how Jeff Andrew voted was beneath the dignity of the House. It's all all true. But as you say, we have to be old enough. We have to be mature enough to understand that these are different things. And that, as a friend of mine said, what was Bill Clinton wearing when Monica Lewinsky was in the Oval Office. He was probably well dressed too. People in various states of attire can do good things and as bad a friend
1: things. of yours, I think I just said that. Well, I didn't
0: want to. <laughs> <I laughs> you didn't can, I you did... can call me out. Okay, I didn't want. Um, I didn't want to call but you out.
1: Speaking of beneath the dignity, I was having a conversation last night about Congresswoman Lauren Boebert and her behavior in a movie theater. And we it won't describe a, on this spot. It was not a movie co- theater. A, a, sorry, a It was theater. a performance of performance Beetlejuice. Of Beetlejuice. It was a
0: traveling company of All right. Beetlejuice in Denver.
1: So I was just laughing Culture. with some friends last night yeah. about how she got tossed out for vaping and, and engaging more. in sexual activity Whoa. in the movie theater. Was it
0: sexual activity? Or was it yes. just gropy gropes?
1: All right. Isn't that sexual activity? I don't know. Okay. Can and we yeah, get a ruling, Colin? It get looked a ruling? very sexual to me. It was... It was caught on camera. It was certain, and,
0: certainly, licentiousness. So, yes. So,
1: uh, joking with some friends last night, how does this movie theater catch behavior that is beneath the dignity of, of a lawmaker to right. to carry on like this in public? But there's no cameras in the White House catching the person who dropped the, ah, cocaine. the cocaine. Oh um, no, there you go. I mean, what on earth? What on earth? They see.
0: Well, that, if the, that was if wild. The, if the cocaine, if the cocaine White House person had been doing it. In front of a pregnant lady, and if the pregnant lady said to them, "Would you please stop doing cocaine here?" and they had said, "Whatever, we're here to party," the cocaine person at the White House probably would have been caught too. Lauren Boebert, wow, that is that that is when when we're when the for the Edward Gibbon enthusiasts out there, mark mark down the ejection and. Talk about poor Kevin McCarthy. This guy, you're having a rough, you have a rough time and we're going to figure out what we're going to do about this government funding and how we're going to get these votes. We're going to have to have all these votes fail and do all these things. And then you get a text from an aide that's like, Lauren Boebert was ejected. (laughs) Yes, you're going to want to see the free beacons, AI generated. What will the members of Congress look like? Wait, there's a really good one. Excellent. Feinstein Feinstein. here. Um,
1: And here's Fetterman.
0: That's very mean. Yes, that's right. right. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to see
1: it. Great. Chris, you flagged this Wall Street Journal piece about the billionaire Jeff Yass. Yes. The founder and CEO of Susquehanna Research. Yes. And the headline is The Billionaire Keeping TikTok on Phones in the U.S. Let me read from it. It is about Jeff Yass's um, relationship with the Club for Growth, which mm-hmm. advocated against a TikTok ban. Yep. Other Republicans in Congress, including at least five besides Rand Paul and Thomas Massey, who received financial support from Club for Growth, have also objected to legislation targeting TikTok. With many Democrats already skeptical of a ban, the whittling away of Republican support killed momentum for several bills, including the Bipartisan Restrict Act, backed by the Biden administration.
0: It must be the money.
1: The lobbying effort by Yass is notable in part because of the extent of his political spending. He and his wife were the third largest conservative donors nationally in the 2022 election cycle, chipping in about $49 million to support conservative candidates and causes, according to Open Secrets.
0: This was the kind of lazy, trope-driven Washington coverage that just drives me. It drives me right up a wall. The in the broad inference in this piece, including with the villainous picture, I don't know anything about Jeff. Yes. But the villainous distorted photo of him from the villainous distorted photo of him at the top to the sneering references throughout to what these lawmakers did. The strong suggestion is. What why would they oppose the federal government shutting down TikTok, but for the money, it must be the money that's making them do it, it must be the thirty six thousand dollars that Thomas Massey's uh, reelection campaign got from the Club for Growth that made him think this when it's obvious to any. And look, the writers get it in there, but it is put in as a afterthought, not the obvious truth, which is the money finds libertarians. Right. This money goes to libertarian leaning members of Congress who obviously don't like the idea of the federal government banning speech. They don't like it. In other cases, you could find other places where Rand Paul and Thomas Massey are against government restrictions, even when it is unpopular with the Republican Party. Setting this up as TikTok is buying them is gross. And then what really just absolutely scorches my biscuits is they don't open up the possibility that the people who are criticizing them. Josh Hawley, Mark Warner, and others who they credulously quote throughout, well, who donates to them? If that's the game that we're playing, if the game is, well, you took money from somebody who owns a stake in TikTok, that must be why you're not in favor of shutting TikTok down. They come after Tim Scott, they come after all of these people. Who gives money to Mark Warner's campaign? Who gives money to Josh Hawley's campaign? Any of any of TikTok's competitors? I'd be interested in knowing. If Microsoft or uh, Meta or anybody else who would love to see TikTok get shut down because it's eating their lunch, it, this was. And the last thing I'll say before I stop ranting about this, the great one of the great misconceptions that the American electorate has about Washington is the power of money in affecting people's decisions. M- It happens people big donors have sway with people and I'm not saying that yes has not been able to get access to these politicians and that there's not influence and that the club for growth. I'm not saying that there's no influence but generally speaking money finds ideologically aligned people not it changes their ideologies generally speaking the money flows to people who align with donors ideologies. Donors don't say, well, this person disagrees with him. I'm going to give him a bajillion dollars and then he or she is going to think about the world differently. And this is just and no, this is really the last thing, okay. which is which is, I, have a, I have a counter, which is politicians don't care about money nearly as much as they care about staying in office. And this is a bad this would be a bad way to stay in office. Right. Everybody hates all the Republican electorate hates TikTok. And it'd be a freebie in Kentucky, certainly, to go out and join, get on the bandwagon and say, we're going to shut down TikTok. All right, now shut up.
1: I found the piece to be interesting for a few reasons. The first is, and I agree with you, money finds those who are lawmakers who are ideologically aligned. I, and I and I agree with your critique that who backs those who oppose this, OK? it And it didn't get that. However, we know the opponents of this, the metas, the Facebooks, their household names, and we know who their founders are. Jeff Yass and his investment in TikTok has flown under the radar for quite a long time and isn't a household name. And I thought the piece shed light on this. I agree with you. It's a bad picture. It intended to vilify him. That's not good. But it was interesting and informative in that. This guy is a player in our politics, is pushing legislation in particular directions, has contact with lawmakers, is making his case to them, is a player in Washington and and has been doing this behind the scenes for a long time in a way that we know what Mark Zuckerberg's pushing for. We know what Facebook's pushing for. This guy hasn't been in the limelight in the same way. And. To push back on your money point, you mm-hmm. said politicians want nothing more than to stay in office. Sure, mm-hmm. you know what they need to stay in office? They need money, right? And there's a reason. When you talk to politicians, they say, "Ugh, it's awful running for office. Like we got to gotta be fundraising on the, the phone all day." They they actually do care. Fair point. And it's not. I agree. Like it it's caricatured in the press, but they. They care about donations. They mm-hmm. care about the people who give to them. It doesn't have the impact that I think donors think it does, or wish it would, or, or any of that. And it's not it's not as reductive as the piece makes it out to be. But you know, I thought it was informative.
0: I I wish it's imperfect. Yes, I wish I wish it would have been. But I agree with you a hundred percent. It was interesting to learn about. I did not know about. His role. I didn't know about any of that stuff. It was interesting. Fair 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 enough.
1: That brings us to the our facile file. Mm-hmm. And we have many items in it this week. It's
0: a bumper crop. Fascinous. It really is. Yes.
1: First up, we have a Washington Post piece. The headline is the food industry pays, quote, influencer dietitians to shape your eating habits. They do? You are that dumb.
0: Wow. All right. I've been getting registered
1: aw- dietitians are being paid to post videos that promote diet, soda, sugar and supplements on Instagram and TikTok. Did you know, Chris, athletic greens might not have all the benefits that what? you're being told by these Instagram influencers. And so the focus of this piece is all about aspartame and that the. Whatever the food lobby has paid the Canadian Sugar
0: Institute, yeah, that big Canadian sugar. So,
1: there was a huge study from the Centers for Disease Control that said aspartame may possibly, you know, some loose affiliation with bad health outcomes. And so, the aspartame folks Mm -hmm. have enlisted influencers, of course, of course, to push back on this. Are you
0: suggesting I can't? take everything that I see on Instagram about how to live my life at face value? Is that, well, is that what you're suggesting? The,
1: the analysis of thousands of posts found that companies and industry groups paid dietitians for content that encouraged, this is, by the way, is the business of Instagram, Yes. for content that encouraged viewers to eat candy and ice cream, downplayed the health risks of highly processed foods, and pushed unproven supplements, messages that run counter to decades of scientific evidence and healthy eating. The review found that among 68 dietitians with 10,000 or more social media followers on TikTok or Instagram, about half had promoted food, beverages or supplements to their combined 11 million followers within the last year. And it goes on to, you know, focus on all these people who had said used a hashtag noting that aspartame is safe, which I love aspartame.
0: I'm. I I
1: didn't need a TikTok influencer to tell me that. I
0: clicked over to the Washington Post climate section to see uh, how the Washington Post uh, is doing today. And the answer is lots of advertisements from people in the climate industry, from Ecolab, water and climate transforming the way the world thinks about water sustainability or growth. Why not both? Well, that seems to align with the Washington Post's larger message on climate. The... Uh, this kind of, this kind of stuff, and for so first of all caveat emptor. If you're taking your dietary advice from Instagram, I don't know what to tell you. Right, you you better check. Right, you better vet the people. You better do all this stuff. You're a living human being. You'd better check. But the sneering way in which they suggest that advertising equals corruption for a publication. Adver- that that courts advertisers that sells access. The Washington Post does all of these things. It sucks up to influencers to sell itself. It takes ads from people whose views align from companies whose views align with what the Post is printing, like simmer down.
1: Next up, we have oh, I loved I loved this because the mainstream media after after we had you know inflation is temporary. Yes. We now have from CNN, US gas prices are unusually high. Here's why you shouldn't worry. I shouldn't? And CNN. What if it's writes, more expensive? One thing we need to remember is that the price of everything has gone up and all of the input costs of producing oil have increased. Well, that seems worrisome. I'm worried. Sure, we're at $90 a barrel right now, but if you measure by today's dollars, we actually peaked at something like $184 per barrel back in 2008. When you adjust for for inflation, oil isn't that high right now. So and then the, the expert they talk to, this is all an interview with a single expert. So when I look at the supply side, I think the U.S. and other non-OPEC members will help. And when I look at the demand side, I don't see a lot of economic growth or demand for fossil fuels. So I don't expect economic trends to push prices much higher. Although, of course, some shock could. Chill.
0: Chill, just don't worry. Chill. If, if it costs you fifty dollars again to fill up your vehicle, don't worry; it's not that bad. Chill. Okay, you found an excellent uh, example of facility, facileness.
1: I bring pastries in every week, and when I was in line that. to pick up, they,
0: she ate. Everything I, I ate a good of the part inside. of the, After
1: I had my pastry, I had to move on to the second pastry,
0: left leaving it leaving one giant calamari ring behind.
1: <laughs> uh, um. And I saw this video from Kamala Harris, which on the on the inflation subject, um, talking about uh, climate change. And this is what she had to say. This is something that young leaders have actually told me that they've coined as a term, climate anxiety, which is their fear about the, the, the future. Right. And so whether they should have children, whether they should ever think about buying a home for Fear that it might be wiped out because of extreme weather occurrences. And it it pains me that they would live with such uncertainty about what their future can be. Chris, I was amused because having just bought a house in the past year, I do not think this is why people are afraid to buy houses right now. Yeah, I think it might have more to do with the the 7 percent interest rate.
0: I, th- I think there are young people thinking those things based on the conversations I've had with young Americans over the past couple of years, that there is real anxiety about climate change and there is real anxiety about the future and all of that stuff. But when you are part of the administration that is taking it in the chops for the high price of everything, for inflation, for all of that stuff, bringing climate change in on that is a little rich, Little a little rich.
1: Chris, you uh... –
0: Oh, I really like this. This is this is good. So this is Chitin Key. This is Chitin and Key, and its founders. One of the founders is the author of a great book that I really like. Troy Senek is his name. Wrote a great book about Grover Cleveland, Man of Iron, which I recommend very highly. But Chitin Key is a is explanatory journalism done pretty well. And Kite and Key, Climate of Alarm, is global warming driving extreme weather events throughout the world. And it is a very sober-sided, matter-of-fact, de-escalatory piece and take. It's good. It's fact-checked. Uh, we'll include it in the show notes. But this is, with showing sources, other points of view, I'm really encouraged about what I've seen so far from Key. & Key. And this is a, this is a good example.
1: So that was not Facile files.
0: No, that was anti. That okay. was anti right. Yes,
1: but we're back to Facile files for yes. this next one. Yes. Last week, oh,
0: this we is
1: talked about an article.
0: This is and a beaut.
1: I said, you know, I think it was about the Biden press conference in Hanoi, and I said, you know, this is the kind of article that when people on the center right read this in the New York Times, they say, this is why this is the sort of thing we don't like. And why we think the New York Times is so biased. So I read this in the Washington Post. It is a long feature about a North Carolina, sorry, South Carolina teacher who assigned Ibram, not a, sorry, Ta-Nehisi Tana Coates' yes. Between the World and Me to high school students and was reprimanded for it and about her fear returning to school this year. And I'll just read a little from it. Because of what happened last year, though, Wood now worried anything from the most provocative essay to the least interesting comment about her weekend might be resisted, recorded, and reported by the children she was supposed to be teaching. And if she couldn't trust them, how was she supposed to make them trust her? Plus, Wood had required A.P. Lang students to read a speech from former President Donald Trump a balancing conservative voice. So she signed ta Coates, but she also assigned a Trump speech. These right. were supposed to counter each other. That's right. Totally, totally fair play. Totally here.
0: equal. Yes. Yes, two, um, two intellectuals,
1: yeah. <laughs> two
0: intellectuals with different views about race. This was. Yeah.
1: And it goes on. Wood believes trust is fundamental to the classroom. She has to trust her students. They and their parents have to trust her. But trust, she believes, is impossible without authenticity. And for Wood, teaching authentically means assigning writers like Coates, voices unfamiliar, even disconcerting to students in her lakeside town. Because of what happened last year, though, Wood now worried anything. Oh, sorry. And that's repeating above. Yes. So if you it's not really worth reading in its entirety. But (laughs) what really bothered me about this piece is that I I actually have no objection to teaching. There are much better books that you could teach to high school students but i had no objection to her teaching the book based on her quotes in the in the story i had no confidence that this actually would have been a productive classroom discussion however there was no honest accounting no. of why people would actually
0: listen, listen just listen to the lead listen to the lead this this is your red flag as gold sunlight filtered into her kitchen english teacher mary wood Shouldered a worn leather bag packed with first day of school items, three lesson planning notebooks, two peanut butter granola bars, an extra pair of socks, just in case. Everything was ready, but Wood didn't leave. For the first time since she started teaching 14 years ago, she was scared to go back to school. Now, editor alert, when you read prose that purple, that emotionally manipulative, that wild about... A school teacher who is engaged—it's—it's it's a controversy, right? There's this is—it's not. No one is surprised that somebody in Chapin, South Carolina, is running into resistance from the community when she is preaching a gospel that is con- contrary to what most of the people there. And so, and as you say, it's inter- that that's worth exploring, right? What is it to to? To be sort of behind enemy lines teaching something that most people aren't gonna agree with. But the hagiographic, the golden sunlight filtering through the windows and her and her fear this was this was a a red flag. It was like a totally
1: reductive good versus evil ridiculous piece. Stipulate. Chris, you flagged National Geographic. I, the, I, are, are we drinking water all wrong?
0: Uh, it, yes, National Geographic has a scare question for you. Are you drinking water all wrong? I don't know. How, is, should I be drinking it from the other side of the glass? I don't know. Here's what you need to know about hydrating, and it's it made me laugh so hard because here's the secret to drinking water right: drink water. People have been doing it for since our species came to exist. I feel confident that you can drink water correctly. Do not be frightened by the National Geographic about drinking water. You can you can do it, America. You, too, can drink water.
1: That brings us to Jan Wenner's rock hall. Rain lasted years, and it ended in 20 minutes, the New York Times this is tells York, us. The New
0: York Times taking a victory lap for finally ending Jan Wenner's reign of terror as the... Most annoying baby boomer. I think he's the most annoying baby boomer, quite possibly. The deliciously self-regarding, ponderously, ponderously self-satisfied Jan Wenner, and now the husk of an institution, Rolling Stone, That it's it's tattered uh, remnants in his wake. He has a new book out. And in his interview promoting the book with The New York Times, he said some particularly racist and sexist things. And the New York Times. This is like its fourth, like the fourth article that it's had talking about how it took down Jan Wenner. And I will just say, you could have taken down Jan Wenner any time in the past fifty years. This was this was not a hard target, as they would well,
1: say. Well, I did find this amusing, okay. and and. Just because it's such a middle finger to the Times. Yes. So in the Times interview conducted by David Marques, Wenner, 77, explained why his new book, The Masters, a collection of his interviews over the years with rock stars like Bob Dylan, Mick Jagger, and Springsteen, mostly from the pages of Rolling Stone, included no women or people of color as subjects. He said that none were, quote, as articulate enough on this intellectual level and that he did not view <laughs> them as, quote, philosophers of rock.
0: <laughs> you know, just the for phrase public, philosophers of rock should be enough to get his citizenship you know, revoked. Just
1: for public relations sake, he added, maybe I should have gone and found one black and one woman artist to include here that didn't measure up to that same historical standard Amazing. just to avert this kind of criticism, which I get it. I had a chance to do that. Maybe I'm old fashioned and I don't give a expletive or whatever.
0: Amazing. Jan Wenner.
1: It's fu- I mean, it's funny because it's of, of course like there are women. Patti Smith comes to mind. Just, the, um,
0: just the phrase "philosopher of rock." It's, I just want to say it's rock and roll. It's supposed to be fun. The, the I talked about last week. We talked about the Buffett effect, about as these as these rock and roll figures pass on to to the great Gibson in the sky. That it's just let it be music. Let it be music. It's okay. They're not philosophers of rock. I'm, I'm remember. I'm reminded of. John Kerry, when Bruce Springsteen was out campaigning for John Kerry, and John Kerry came to the stage, and he referred to, he was announcing that Bruce Springsteen would be coming to the stage, and he said, "America's troubadour," Bruce Springsteen, and it's like, you know, it's rock and roll supposed to be fun, guys. It's supposed to be fun.
1: I sort of enjoyed this Jan Warner thing. Well, Uh, well, the New York York Times has all you want to give the giant middle finger to the Times and its sensibilities.
0: I well uh, everybody's sensibilities here get a get a F from me I'm a I'm I am I, I liked it auntie you know what I'll tell you what I liked. I liked Nick Sa- I like that Nick Saban still does a we move to our sports section. <laughs> Nick Saban does a show right He does a a radio show as part of his duties as the coach for the University of Alabama which I don't did they win? Is I know Bama lost to Texas. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what they're looking like. But they're definitely hungry for a win. And so Nick Saban, I want you all to listen to Nick Saban on the phone with somebody named Pee Wee. Coach, how are you, sir? Well, Pee
1: Wee, I've been wanting to talk to you all week, man. I mean, we got to firm up the pocket. <laughs> We're setting too soft. We're getting pushed back in the middle. All right, everybody <laughs> thinks we can't hold up against the blitz, but they're sacking us with four man rush, one three man rush. Only one sack came off of a pressure,
0: so I wanted to ask you what the hell's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I believe he's covered it all right there, Coach. So Pee-wee is, who is a a long, as they would say, long-time listener and not a first-time caller. Kudos to Nick Saban for going out there and engaging it this way, and I just found it funny and thought you all would enjoy it.
1: Chris, that brings us to our style section. Mm -hmm. Where we have a spotted, yes. And that is Jake Tapper at the DMV
0: in a jersey. donning a yes.
1: some kind of baseball jersey with his last name emblazoned on the back.
0: I don't know. I is this whether this is for a professional team or maybe this is for a softball team he played on. But he definitely is going. Jake Tapper is is very famous in Washington, and going about with your name on the back of your shirt seems like an unnecessary step. It seems like it seems like gilding the lily when you're as famous as Jake. You know Tapper.
1: what he's gonna wear when he visits the Senate floor.
0: What's that? This. That's right. Maybe that maybe that's what we can do. We just get them all jerseys so that we can <laughs> exactly. tell them apart. That'll be good. Exactly. It's see it, Fetterman get with Tapper and figure out where to get your personalized jersey.
1: Well TMZ reports Oh yes. A catsuit clad woman was tossed off a of flight and journalism. And she pushed back. She said I'm Instagram famous.
0: Let's let's hear let's hear her now. Follow again. Fall again. Yeah, you did
1: nothing wrong. I said shut up. No, you shut the up. You shut the fuck up in your You shut the film me. I'm
0: Instagram famous. You f you bum. It's a lot of bleeping.
1: She does have almost a million Instagram followers and TMZ reports Morgan appeared on season five of the reality show Bad Girls Club Miami, which I have not heard of, but I'm going to be looking up.
0: Oh, you missed last season of Bad Girls Girls Club Club Miami. Miami. I mean, well, geez, it's it's, stay with Mm it. The the performative nature of American life and that this woman, I assume, was hoping that this would happen.
1: Well, look at the pictures of her.
0: Well, that's definitely – she's in the right club then. She's definitely in the right club if she's part of the Bad Girls Club of Miami is what I would say. But I assume that the demand for airplane – well, maybe that's what will – that maybe that's how my career will end is that somebody will be talking on an airplane and I will stand up and rebuke them and I will be canceled.
1: And you'll say I'm podcast famous.
0: I'll say I'm wretch famous, y'all. Wretch <laughs> famous. Maybe that's how – We'll get (laughs) us. You'll
1: take your meat bag and run I'll take my
0: meat bag and I'll say, this is my meat bag and I'm wretch famous. (laughs) Y'all get off me.
1: We could not end our style section without talking about, I think this is the most amazing wedding announcement ever to have appeared in the New York Times wedding announcement.
0: Engagement announcement. Mm, Yes.
1: Whatever it is.
0: Read the subhead.
1: Let me read the headline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She pioneered internet fame he helped draft a constitution now they're in love who would have guessed that the former new york media obsession julia allison and the law scholar noah feldman would make a great couple
0: i didn't guess would you have guessed <laughs> i didn't guess i i never i never guessed i th- i thought they would end up with very different people oh wait i didn't ever think about it at all
1: the two had never talked but a mutual friend had described Mr. Feldman to Ms. Allison as, quote, the world's most fascinating man. Through the friend, she had Mr. Feldman's number, which she dialed from the hot spring. He picked up, and Ms. Allison asked him the meaning of life. They spoke for 90 minutes. Neither of us can remember what Noah said, but I know it was so profound, Ms. Allison said. Now, three and a half years later, after a courtship that has been, while well, not precisely a secret, at least conspicuously discreet, Ms. Allison and Mr. Feldman are engaged.
0: On the surface, it was an unlikely match. Ms. Allison, 42, is a 10-time Burning Man attendee who had lived in California for a decade. Her friends include startup chief executives and psychedelic psychotherapists. She considers Bali her spiritual home. Ms. Allison described her period of a period of her dating history as 10 years of relationships with polyamorous DJs. Ms. Allison said she also dated the former Democratic (laughs) Congressman Harold Ford Jr. when she was in college at Georgetown. Mr. Feldman, meanwhile, embodies the East Coast establishment, the son of an MIT professor and a Harvard lecturer who graduated first in his class from Harvard. Mr. Feldman, 53, speaks five languages, has written nine books, and is a columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. And it goes on... To make these the most tedious, like, they're the caricatures Wait, we're that not these done. people are. We
1: can't be done.
0: Tell me. Guard
1: by experience, Ms. Allison has been living mostly out of the spotlight. Early in, her fo- early in their phone calls, she asked Mr. Feldman not to Google her. It's not a representation of who I even was then, let alone now, Mr. Allison said, but eventually she got on a plane. At the Portland airport from his car, Mr. Feldman caught sight of Ms. Allison for the first time. "'I saw Julia dancing, alone, in a sundress "'on this tiny little triangle of grass "'in the middle of the airport,' he said. "'It was a beautiful, moving image "'of somebody who was sourcing joy entirely internally. "'They spent five days together, "'picking out produce at the farmer's market, "'lying in the grass, and, as Miss Allison put it, "'kissing on Noah's boat. "'I was completely magnetized by this man,' she said. "'Still, there was an acculturation, acculturation process.' particularly for Mr. Feldman, who is not really the dance-like-no-one-is-watching type. To begin with, Ms. Allison was immersed in a scene centered on Burning Man, about which Mr. Feldman knew nothing.
0: Many of Julia's friends have jobs I didn't know existed until I met Julia, Mr. Feldman said. One is a fire dancer. She also has a friend named Purple. He only wears purple, and his metier is bodywork.
1: Noah is learning how to have fun, Ms. Allison said, but he's a fast learner.
0: Ms. Allison took Mr. Feldman on several pilgrimages, acid tests really, to make sure he could loosen up. First, the pair went to the Indonesian island of Bali, where Ms. Allison lived for a year from 27 to 2018, doing what she referred to as a yoga and meditation sabbatical and said she paid, which she said she paid for with her earnings from investments in
1: cryptocurrency. (laughs) So there you have it, America. no, no. Mr. Feldman was familiar with the island in part through the work of the anthropologist Clifford Geertz, who wrote about the social dynamics at play in Balinese (laughs) cockfighting. Mr. Feldman was tense at first, but cycling the village roads north of Ubud he began to feel himself pleasantly removed from the rigidly intellectual culture of Cambridge, Massachusetts.
0: I The Balinese cockfighting so takes good. it over the top for me it's that this may, so be a, may be a prank. Maybe this is a parody. I, it, yeah. Maybe this is a parody.
1: All right. That brings us to our obsessions of the week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. Chris, Mine is The Washington Post's coverage of the Iran prisoner swap, and this was the story that I was waving around this week saying this is why conservatives hate the mainstream media. The choice quote was, well, I'm going to read a little bit from it. The deal negotiated over several months marks a major breakthrough for the bitter foes who remain at odds over a range of issues, including the rapid expansion of Tehran's nuclear program, its ongoing military support for Russia, and Iran's harsh crackdown on internal dissent. And it goes on to say, though under the agreement the money may be used only for the purchase of humanitarian goods, Republicans argue that the administration should have negotiated a deal with terms more favorable to the United States. Yes. Yes. Republicans do argue that. They do. And nowhere in the piece does... Do you get a real sense of what, and it's not Republicans, the Washington Post editorial board editorialized against this deal? You get no sense of the actual counter argument to this deal, which is that the six billion dollars is fungible. Okay, this six billion dollars can only be used for humanitarian goods, but the money's fungible and it frees up six billion other dollars that can then be used to fund anything around likes. And in fact... Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi has said, we're going to use this for whatever we want. None of that is present in this piece. And if you were only reading The Washington Post, you would be woefully mi- misinformed. Or if you were to only read this article, you would be woefully misinformed. You are not getting both sides of the story. You are getting the Biden administration side if you read this. So this was the article this week that, like, really got me hot under the collar.
0: Um, you, that's almost a harumph. Harumph. We almost got you oh, all the you? way to a harumph. They're,
1: they're not as not as long as yours, but... Uh, but as heartfelt.
0: So the piece in Slate, and I'm sorry to include Slate here. I don't mean I don't mean to include Slate, but it does speak to the the problem of so the headline: Un- an unexpected scandal could lose Democrats the Virginia Legislature. You now we talked a story last week about the a woman who had relations with her husband and put them on the internet and asked people to pay them to keep posting pictures of themselves.
1: No. They were streaming themselves live and taking requests from viewers saying for for ten bucks. No, no, no,
0: no, no. Stipulate. Stipulate. But the the piece in Slate, I think, is instructive into how people think about this stuff in politics. The Washington Post published a story Monday that may harm Virginia Democrats' chances of preventing a complete Republican state government takeover this November based on a tip from a Republican operative. To whom the Post granted anonymity, the paper reported that a Democratic candidate running for House of Delegates seat in a competitive district has live streamed, blah, 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 as, as as previously mentioned. The thinking that you should only take what is good for or bad for your side is wrong, right? It's just fundamentally wrong. The slate piece goes on to eventually say that, yes, it reflects poorly on the Virginia Democratic Party, that it didn't vet her thoroughly. But, by the way, a reference back to Lauren Boebert, if you have to check porn sites for candidates, if, if part of the vetting is to look at all of the pornography ever produced in your state to see if the person running for and no offense to the Virginia House of Delegates, but it's the Virginia House of Delegates. It's, like, not an unimportant job, but it's not a very important job. So I, I, I doubt that the Virginia Democratic Party could have found this if they were looking. But it's not the Washington... It, the Washington Post should not have rejected this story because it came from a Republican operative. I talk a lot about the problems with promiscuous anonymity and how often anonymity is given out. I don't like when anonymity is given out so that people can trash other people without putting their name on it. But in this case... It's either true or it's not true, right? So the promiscuous anonymity that drives me crazy is somebody says, Well, Chris, you know, Chris is his bags of meat are gross. A dog
1: faced pony soldier.
0: The yeah, Chris is a dog faced pony soldier mm-hmm. and his bags of meat stink up the airplane. And the, the I can I can't stand the sight of him eating medium rare roast beef in the morning and he's the worst.
1: You know, it was me who said
0: said it. I would never I would never who make insulted you insulted
1: the bags of meat. I would
0: never make you watch me eat a bag of meat. Maybe. But if you grant that person anonymity to criticize somebody else or spin something, that's wrong. Right. They should. If you want to say something, make an allegation. If you want to do what spin it, you should put your name on it. In this case, either she was making porn or she was not making porn. And that's the difference about opposition research. Doesn't matter who found it and gave it to the Washington Post. Who cares?
1: Motivations don't really matter in journalism. The thing is true or it's not true. In
0: in cases like this, motivations are totally
1: immaterial. We see this all the time at The Beacon, where because we're a center right news site, people will say, but it's The Beacon. Right. And, you know, it's like, guys, the article is, the facts in there are true or they're not. Who cares who published it?
0: Amen. I mean and when it's just the news, it's just the news. Either it is or it isn't. And now I hope we never have to talk about
1: oh, I doubt it.
0: Chatterbait. Oh, we will be yes. talking
1: about it when the results of that election come in for oh, sure. Oh, there you go. That brings us to my favorite time yes, of the week so. and that is reader mail. First up, we have a note from Todd at the Alabama Daily News. And Todd writes, Eliana and Chris love the podcast. I listen every week. I've had some thoughts about the welcome in discussion ever since you first started it. But I'm finally moved to send an email since it came up again. Don't you think welcome in is just the linguistic great grandchild of willkommen or German for welcome? Willkommen. My understanding is that many German people migrated to the upper Midwest in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Maybe this got passed down and altered over the years. I remember having this thought months ago when the discussion was started, but was reminded during our local theater's recent production of Cabaret, in which Wilkommen is the opening number. Here's that in case you've never seen the show. Keep up the great work.
0: I wish, Todd. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for continuing our exploration of Welcome In. It didn't start in the upper Midwest. I don't think that's where it came from. I think it came in. I think it's I think it's corporate speak, and I did not notice it until after the pandemic. It was something during the pandemic because I think they were trying to emphasize in. You're here physically present now. Well, so, like, welcome back, welcome in. But I will do my research, Todd, but I doubt that it is willkommen. I think it is. I think it's welcome in. I don't think it's <laughs> in. I think it's, you're welcome in. You're welcome in here.
1: Greg from Washington writes, Good evening, Wretches. I love the show and look forward to it every week. I started hearing Welcome In here in Olympia, Washington about two years ago. However, I was recently watching a YouTube video of the rock group Heart. Yes. At six minutes in after a nice 70s rockadelic instrumental opening tune, Anne Wilson definitely says, "Welcome in" to the enthusiastic but seated college audience. I take this as proof positive that Anne is a time traveler, and perhaps the entire group is also. Well, uh, on
0: the Wilson sisters rock so hard that they must have been from the future. I I definitely agree. I will listen. To, uh, we we will let's let's listen right here. <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. This is Hart here. Okay, Greg. I'm and and this would this would dovetail with Todd about a, a more ancient origin for Welcome in. I am wherever it came from. I'm opposed to it, but I I will I will do my research and I would encourage you all to to advise us on your experiences with Welcome in.
1: Chris, that brings us to your favorite time of the week where I am forced to say something nice. But as always, please lead us by example.
0: A truly beautiful piece from Janisha Watts in The Atlantic. It's called I Never Called Her Mama. And it's beautiful. It's a story of her difficult childhood in Louisville, Kentucky. It is frank. It is not overly sentimental. It is beautifully written. It talks about the effect of drugs on young people's lives, of the spider web, of hope, of despair, of all of the stuff. It's just you—you you, these days you seldom get to to read writing that is as emotionally powerful but not purple as clearly written as this. It's really excellent.
1: My pick is also from The Atlantic. Look at
0: us, sophisticates.
1: And it is Andy Ferguson's
0: so good piece
1: on being at the Nixon library and going through Nixon's library, the books that Nixon had in his library and examining Nixon's marginalia. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. He also runs into Henry Kissinger out there. Yes. And much of Nixon's marginalia is about Henry Kissinger. and Some resentments. It's great. So, He writes particularly about Nixon's notes on a book called Bad News, The Foreign Policy of the New York Times by a foreign correspondent for the New York Daily News named Russ Braley. And Andy writes, still, Braley went on, when the Pentagon Papers were leaked, their publication alarmed Kissinger because they posed a double threat to national security and to the conduct of foreign policy. And to K, Nixon wrote in the margin, Uh Andy notes, The contrast between Nixon's bitter, harsh remarks about Kissinger from the 1980s and Kissinger's present-day celebration of his old boss offered a lesson in the evolving calculation of self-interest. It also conjured the image of a solitary old man in semi-retirement learning things about a now-vanished world he'd once thought he presided over. It happened often in the reading room in your Belinda. With unexpected immediacy, the gray metal cart carried the past into the present in small but tangible fragments of Nixon himself.
0: Andy Ferguson kicks It's wonderful. Butt. He is it's such wonderful. a good writer.
1: That is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.